0: It's um, good to see you all this morning. I'm going to sit down because I like it. Um, And um, yeah, follow that one. (laughs) Um, um, As we came into this year, um, we've been teaching a series that we've been calling An Invitation to a Journey. And uh, during this time, we've, we've kind of been drawing from the book of Exodus and Numbers, uh, where we've been focusing on this kind of in-between time. Uh, this in-between time where um, God's people, the Israelites, had left slavery in Egypt and they were heading towards the promised land, and yet, for some reason, they took a 40-year detour uh, in the wilderness. And so we've just been exploring what it would what it look like for them in that season, in that in-between space between what was and what's been promised, and how they kind of interacted with God. How God used that time to not just take them out of Egypt, but to take Egypt out of them. And so um, I think you'd all agree it's been a significant uh, teaching series the last um, six, seven, eight weeks as we've journeyed through this together. Now, one of the reasons why we decided uh, to, to do this series is because we are... As we've mentioned repeatedly um, since last summer, as a church, going through our own kind of in-between time. Uh, We're in this kind of in-between space uh, uh, and a significant period of change and transition. Pre-COVID, for those of you who weren't around, you will know we existed as, as one church meeting across four different locations. And as we, um, as we function that way, we functioned as what is often referred to as a multi-site church, one church in, in four locations. And, and as we came out of uh, COVID and as we began to reimagine life the other side of the pandemic, we, we kind of shifted uh, the way that that was working. And we shifted from this one church model to what, we, what we've been describing as a family of churches. And really this change has been been motivated by a few different things. Uh, Firstly, we believe it helps to to simplify some of the the structures that we had in place. It makes things less complex and it removes a lot of the moving parts. And so that's been good. That's been healthy for us uh, as churches uh, across this, this area. Secondly, it gives... Each of our churches more local autonomy. Um, so you remember that the sites they took on their own names over this last year when we released the guys in Kettering, and then so it, it gave that sense of local autonomy, which we felt was the right thing to do. That that actually having the freedom to kind of work out what God was doing in that local vicinity has been has really. Been important, and thirdly, uh, because of that kind of change and that shift that we've made, uh, it's we believe it's going to enable us to go further than perhaps we'd previously imagined. And um, one significant change that that reality brings is, is for Tammy and I that we are going to be repositioning ourselves within our family of churches. Uh, where we're going to continue to serve across those different locations. We're going to continue to give oversight to uh, the pastors and leaders in those different churches under this umbrella that we we call CV family. Uh, But we're also stepping into a new pioneering role um, uh, by taking the lead in seeing the next church community come to life in the in the neighboring city of Milton Keynes. And so we've kind of talked through lots of that over this last year, and and many of you are aware of of that transition. And and you see, in doing this, um, our hope is that as a family, as a family of churches, we can become a catalyst for what God wants to do next, that we believe God wants to push us further than we could ever have imagined. A few weeks ago, I shared some of the kind of macro vision Um, for for what we see for us as a family of churches going forward. We we said, what would it look like for us to play our part in seeing another 40, and I actually got the numbers wrong, another 39 churches, it doesn't sound as good, does it? Um, Another 39 churches planted across uh, what is is currently known as the Oxford-Cambridge Ark. Um, And equally, with with all, all that going on, it's also this series has also been a way for us to to perhaps speak into our individual situations as as a people uh, that you know the reality is we all find ourselves right now, don't we in this kind of in-between space uh, you might remember right at the beginning of the series, I called it this liminal space, uh, this space that's kind of like, it's not the living room and it's not the kitchen, it's that the hallway uh, be, between the two. And so we find ourselves in that place because, you know, um, the, the truth is life as it was, has moved on, we've found ourselves living through a pandemic which none of us uh, really expected, unless you were Bill Gates. And we're entering into a new reality, a, a new era of life. And it's and, and it's not a case that we're just going back to normal anymore. You know, we're not we're not just going back. We're we're having to lean forward. We're having to lean into what is ahead of us, because what has passed is now past. And so as we draw this series to a close this Sunday, we acknowledge that many of us may feel like this is a challenging time. And on different levels, many of us may feel exhausted. Anyone feel exhausted? We may feel anxious. Been there, felt felt that. And we may feel stressed. We may feel stressed. Uh, And the truth is, change and transition is stressful, isn't it? Even good transitions are stressful. You know, what is it they say? Having a baby, moving house, getting married. They're all the most stressful things you could do. But they're all pretty good things to do, aren't they? But they are stressful. Transitions are, by definition, stress-inducing realities and so what do we need the lord to say to us in a time of stress what is god's word to us during this this kind of extraordinary time of change well maybe it's something like what he said to joshua as the people prepared to enter the promised land so if you've got a bible why don't you turn to joshua chapter 1 If you haven't got a Bible, the words will be up on the screen, Um, but it's good to have a Bible just in case I'm making it up. So Joshua chapter one. So let me just just read the first couple of verses to us to start with. It says, after the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give them, to the Israelites. In this um, passage, we read about two significant leaders. Uh, Moses, who we've heard lots about over the last few weeks who was called by God to liberate God's people and lead them out of slavery in Egypt. And and, and for the last 40 years, he has led the people through the wilderness and he has now died. That's a kicker, isn't it? Your your task was to get people somewhere and you croak before they get there. Um, that's, that's a real come down. Um, but then we also meet Joshua. Uh, and Joshua is the aide to the servant of the Lord Moses. And, and, and we know he's now reached a point where he is transitioning. He's changing his role. He's going from being the servant of uh, the, ser- he's going to, from being the aide of the servant of the Lord to becoming the servant of the Lord himself. It says at the end of the book of Joshua, in uh, Joshua uh, chapter 24, uh, that as as Joshua came to the end of his life, it says, Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110. That's not bad going, is it? But he became the servant of the Lord. He stepped into Uh, Moses' place. Joshua was promoted from riding shotgun to becoming uh, the driver of the car himself. He he was promoted from being vice president to president. He went from being CFO to CEO. And, and, you know, the truth is, uh, as Joshua takes this position, there are challenges for him to face. Uh, Joshua is now the one who's going to represent God to the Lord's people, and um, and and he's the one called to lead the Israelites across the Jordan River. And it's not a little stream, in fact, at this time, it's high tide, and and so uh. So he's the one who's going to lead this nation of people with with all their possessions, their sheep, uh, you know, their goats, their cattle, their babies, uh, their their toddlers, um, their their young marrieds, their middle-aged folk, their old folks, their widows, their widowers. And he's got to take all these people and their possessions and lead them across the Jordan River. There's no bridge There's no ferry. And in in this moment, Joshua needs to provide leadership to this nation of grumbling complainers, people that even the great Moses had trouble leading. And so I wonder if Joshua, as he contemplated his new role as servant of the Lord, possibly at times felt a little bit anxious. I, I, I wonder if he had a twinge of anxiety or stress. Maybe there were moments where he felt pressure. You know, being a leader in this season that we have Gone through has probably been one of the the hardest experiences, not just in church circles, but just across the board. People who are called to lead in different contexts, you know, are repeatedly said the last two years have have just been been horrendous. As I've chatted with pastors, you know, the the statement that all of us make constantly is, "I've never led a church in a pandemic before," and. Um, you know the reality is the the toll of having to make decisions in ways that you never thought you'd have to make decisions before and then for those decisions to be completely unravelled within 24 hours because something else has changed and so leadership can become stressful and in and in moments of heightened stress you know the great enemy of leadership can emerge. The great enemy of what it means to be a leader who leads well can emerge. And that enemy is fear. It's the enemy of fear. You know, if we read through the Gospels, uh, one of the most repeated commands isn't about our religious practices, is it? It isn't about how often you should pray or you know, how you should read your Bible or, you know, how you should conduct yourself in certain settings. All those things are important and they are there. But one of the most repeated commands throughout the Gospels is actually to not be afraid. To not be afraid. Why do we think that's the case? To not be afraid. Well, could it be that in our pursuit of Jesus, there is a chance that we will have cause to maybe sense fear at times or be afraid. Maybe that, that is the case. And so we see a few examples of this in the Gospels. You know, Mary in Luke chapter 1 and verse 30, the angel says to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. Her husband, Joseph, in Matthew 1 and verse 20, the angel of the Lord appears to him and in a dream and says, Joseph, son of David, do not be affra- afraid. It's not a trick question. <laughs> you know. I'm not going to change the word. Or, or, or Zechariah, Luke 1 and 13, the angel said to him, don't be afraid, Zechariah, your prayers have been heard. Or well, the shepherds who watched their flocks by night Do not be afraid, the angel said. I bring good news that will cause great joy to all people. You see, fear can become the biggest obstacle we face as people called to carry out the things that God has called us to do. Fear is what caused Peter to deny Jesus. Uh, When he was challenged, it was fear that caused the disciples to abandon Jesus in his hour of need. And you see, the greatest obstacle to us as a church in in being and doing everything that God has called us to be and do in the future will be fear. It will be fear. And, you know, we find ourselves... um, you know, kind of constantly, I don't know about you, but one of the ways that fear attacks us is in our minds, isn't it? In, in, in the way that we think. And so we say things to ourselves like, or maybe this is just me, you know, if we step out and say this, or, um, you know, if we do this, then this person or that group, you know, they're going to be upset with us. Or if we share that vision, <laughs> um what well, people think we're mad and, and 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 it's just too hard it's too big a task uh we can't do it there there are too many challenges the economy is broken you know there's fear of war on the horizon how can we do this thing that's what fear can sound like in our minds Fear can also uh, be the root cause of our disobedience uh, to God. Uh, we can be afraid of following through with, uh, with his invitation to us. Uh, and we could be afraid because we fear what, what we might lose, that, that what might happen. If I go through with this, God, what are you going to do? You know, I'm sure we have this kind of theory of God that he, he calls us into something to trick us. Sometimes. Sometimes we can be afraid of people being upset with us. If I do this, that person won't like me. Sometimes we can be feared of disappointing people. Sometimes we can be afraid of just looking stupid. And then I realize I get to stand, well, sit in front of you lot and do that quite regularly. Sometimes we can even fear ourselves. We can fear the desires of our hearts or or what success might look like if if we do it. And and because of that, we can shrink back. We can think, I can't do that. I can't step out in that way. And it's in moments like that, that God gives us this wonderful encouragement um, to a, firstly to a fearful Joshua, but also I believe to us as well. Three times in Joshua chapter one in succession, we read these words: "Be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Verse six: Be strong and courageous, because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them. Verse seven: Be strong and very courageous." just in case you didn't get it the first time. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not uh, turn to it, to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. And in verse 9, he says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. The Lord your God will be with you wherever you go go. What is the foundation of these words, be strong and courageous, actually built on? Well, when we read the facts um, in, in verse one that Moses is dead, the first simple truth that we realize is that nobody is indispensable to the plans of God. No one. Not Moses, no, not the Apostle Paul, not Peter, not James, not John, not any of the greatest leaders you can think in the Old and New Testament. Leadership at some stage always changes, but God's plan for his church and for the world never changes. Have you noticed that? Leadership often changes Uh, those in command, those called to have authority, that often changes, but God, his plans never change. You know, when someone is called to lead dies, nothing of God dies. did we know that? You know, when, when a leader's work in a particular area comes to an end, God's work is never ending. One of the reconciling truths that Tammy and I have had to process as best we can in this season of change is, is the simple truth that one day we won't be the leaders called to lead this particular community. We had to reconcile that in our own, our own hearts. Um, you know, whether that is now or in a few months time as it is, or whether it would be when we're six feet under. And so it's been important for us to acknowledge this, that, that we are dispensable. Do you know that? That, that we're dispensable. Uh, and, we're, and we're dispensable when it comes to the plans of God. And that's actually a really good thing. That's a, that's a really good thing, a really important thing. That, 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 and that should always be the posture of our hearts, you know, one of the things that we've sought to do as we've led this community for the last 16 year, years is not build something that is totally dependent upon us, but actually build something that outlives us, that outgrows who we are. And so it's it's been a privilege and it's been our life's privilege to start a church community like this, but our greater passion is that this church community can go on without us and do even greater things than we could ever have imagined or done ourselves. And so as we face our own Joshua moment as a church, my guess is On a micro level, okay, we've talked about the macro vision, we've talked about the big picture, but on a micro level, the question might be, well, what's next? Or more importantly, who's next? That might be some of the burning questions in the room. As many of you know, we took... Uh, the step to advertise uh, for a new lead pastor back in October last year. And whilst we did receive a number of inquiries and interest in that position, as we kind of just prayerfully uh, worked our way through some of those different applications, we, we, we kind of had this overwhelming sense that it wasn't appropriate for take, to take any of those applications further. Uh, Suffice to say, they were all from abroad and it all involved visas. Um, And and so that was one big determiner. (laughs) Um, And and whilst a little little disappointed in that, it kind of confirmed a conviction in our minds that the best succession for us as a church would be from within. Yet at the same time, we didn't have any obvious lightning bolts in the sky that said, this is who it would be. We, we, we didn't have that. And so over the last few months, we've actually been working uh, with uh, some different groups of people on what we call Plan B. And I'd just like to hasten to say that we coined that phrase just before Boris Johnson did. Um, uh, uh, and so um, uh, I'm claiming that as ours. You know, uh, plan, plan B is ours. But at the heart of Plan B really was this recognition that in some way there is this gap between Tammy and I stepping into the new role that I've described at the start of my talk, um, and also us having the right person or persons in place to become the lead pastors of this community. Now some of you will be familiar with this diagram here. Click. Some of you some of you will be familiar with this diagram. Whenever we talk about the kingdom of God in a kind of theological way, our understanding that the kingdom is both both now and not yet, that Jesus, when he came the first time, he he inaugurates his kingdom. He says, the kingdom of God is upon you. It's here, uh, and it's arrived. But we also understand that the kingdom won't be consummated which sounds like another technical word, or painful. Um, It won't be consummated until Jesus returns. And so we live, don't we, in this tension of the kingdom is both now and it's yet to come. And as we pray, we pray that the kingdom would be breaking in, the the future promise that we hold, that, that all things would be made new, that God would fully restore creation, uh, we we pray that that would break into our present reality. And so I want to take that kind of framework, okay? My talk's got nothing to do with that. Uh, But I just want to take that framework and apply it to our situation that we currently find ourselves in. If you like, you can call it the now and the not yet of Central Vineyard, okay? Catchy title, I know. Um we'll We'll get the copyright sorted, but um, so here we are, if we click on the next slide. Um, here we are, and um, obviously, we have our present reality where we find ourselves now, and we have a new reality to come this this summer, as we've been talking about for the last year, in a few months' time, uh, Tammy and I. Will be transitioning into click. Um, well, is that helpful if I say click? Yeah? <laughs> um, transitioning into a new role this summer. Uh, now, it's become increasingly important to us as we've chatted with different folks um, that, that we are, in fact, transitioning. <laughs> We're not leaving. Okay? Some of you think, oh, uh, we thought you were leaving. Um, but no, we are transitioning. We are very much part of the family moving forward. We're just playing a different part. We're going to be playing a different role. And so um, the truth is, from, from the summer, our day-to-day involvement here will diminish as we focus on the new church plant that you guys are going to help us plant, and we continue to give oversight to our little family of churches. Uh, and as we do this, we're going to have a new job title, Ooh. Um, and we're going to become known as the Founding Pastors. thats It's kind of aged us by about 20 years, um, but we're going to step into this new role as Founding Pastors. And um, as we step into that role, the plan is for us to remain legally responsible for this church. So uh, in terms of our relationship to the wider vineyard movement, we will remain the licensed pastors of this church family. But at the same time, we are removing ourselves from much of the Day-to-day running of the church, and as we do this, our plan uh, is to appoint. Click, click, and again, our plan is to appoint a successional, a successional team. Um, and um, as we do this, uh, the plan is for that team to stay in place for the next 18, uh, 24 months. Now, the goal of this team isn't just to hold the fort, okay? Uh, It's not just to keep the ship steady or anything like that. We want this to be an intentional time for the right leadership to emerge long-term. And so our goal is that this team will be the ones casting vision. Uh, They will be the ones giving direction to the church moving forward in this next season. They will be the ones who have authority to lead in this context, all under the supervision of Tammy and myself. Uh, With the ultimate goal at the end of that 18, 20 month period uh, that we would be in a position where we are ready to appoint and license the person or persons, click, uh, to lead the church beyond this period. Click. Da da. Um, now you might be thinking, who is that team? Well, right now I'm going to have to say, watch this space. Um, there's a collective sigh in the room. Um, but our goal in the coming weeks is to reveal more of that team to you. We just have a few different things that we need to work out first. But in the silence of that, we wanted to assure you that there is an intentional plan. Um, I'm sure some of you were thinking, Stephen, Tammy, you're going. Um, and where is everyone? Where is anyone else? And so we just, we just wanted to. Although we're not quite ready to tell you all the details, not because we want to be secretive or like the Illuminati or anything like that, but we just haven't quite landed everything right now. And so, um, uh, but we did want you to know there has been an intentional plan, something that's been thought through for months and months and prayed through for, for months and months and months. And so as this team emerges in the next few weeks and months, Tammy and I will be intentionally taking a step backwards, particularly in more public spaces, as we give that team permission and the freedom to lead. Uh, then as we approach the summer, obviously, uh, you're going to lay hands on us us, and we're going to see the next church community started and we will do like a full handover to that team. And so we really feel this plan gives us the best of both worlds. First first of all, it enables us uh, to be released from the responsibility we carry here um, day to day. And it gives us the the space to focus on seeing this new church plant uh, come to life. Whilst at the same time, it creates a bit of a, a safety net around a team of people as we prayerfully go through a process to see Um, the next leaders or leader emerge over time, okay? So this isn't a passive moment. This isn't like, what do the Anglicans call it? Internegrum. It's not that, okay? Interregnum, interregnum, that's right. Just a weird word. It sounds like something you do to yourself when you're taking a tablet in the wrong place. uh, (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) sorry. Um, Am I the only one who thinks that? Oh, sorry. Uh, 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 Those of you who think visually are struggling right now, um, it's not that anyway, okay? It's not the Anglican suppository thing. Um, It's... um, I'm going to get so much trouble this afternoon. Um, What was I saying? We're running out of time as well, but... um, Uh. It's a plan that gives us the best of both worlds. I hope you I I hope you would agree that it's a plan that gives us the best of both worlds. And so the word of the Lord to us at this time of transition in change is be strong and courageous. Be strong and courageous. Yes, we're facing transition, and transitions are hard. Change is hard, Um, particularly when we often want things easy. That's in our nature. Um, That's who we are as human beings. So as we take courage together, what can you do to help in this process? What can you do? Well, firstly, you can pray. You can pray. The best laid plans are nothing without God being at work within the process. And so we want to maintain a prayerful posture. Uh, As we do this thing together as a community, we, you know, the reality is we may need to adjust things. We may need to tweak things as we go along, as time progresses. And our desire is that this process will be soaked in prayer. Uh, So please do be praying for us, uh, praying for us as a church, for, for, for leadership, and ultimately for God's plan to unfold. The second thing you can do is ask yourself, how can I play my part. How can you play your part? Uh, we're going to need everyone to play their part in this next season um, and, and for everyone to position themselves in the right place. And so, uh, so we want people to really be intentionally thinking, you know, how might God use me in this period of time? As we go through this process, what's the thing that God may mark out for me in this next season? So I would really love you to be thinking through that, thinking what's God got in store for us as we move forward? Thirdly, I would ask that you get behind the team. I know that's a hard one because you don't know who it is, Um, but um, I would ask you to get behind the team as we announce who that team is and as they begin to share the vision ahead. Be willing to embrace all that God has for you in the midst of this. And in particular, as I say, that, I just want to mention uh, one important thing, and that's money. Um, awkward time again, uh, but I just want to talk a little bit about money. Some of you will know at the end of March, Uh, we will be closing out our accounts for the year-end, and for the first time in our 16 years' history, we've actually gone into a negative budget, um, and particularly as income has decreased. Uh, now, there are probably a number of factors why that has happened. Nonetheless, a global pandemic. Uh, but at, And thankfully, we do operate with um, some significant reserves, um, which we are now currently eating into. But it does mean that we haven't had to slam on the brakes. But as we go into a new financial year, we are having to go in with a much leaner budget. Um, and so, as I say, there are a number of factors why our income has dropped. Um, clearly, as you look around, we are smaller in number than we were pre-pandemic. Um, you know, We used to do two services like this in this room uh, pre-pandemic. So we are smaller in number. And therefore, giving has decreased, just naturally uh, decreased. We've had people move away from Northampton, um, get relocated with work, and all sorts of things like that. Also, some of us have lost jobs or at least lost income, and so maybe your ability to give has decreased, or maybe it's even stopped. And equally, some of you have simply stopped giving for whatever reason. I don't know. Um, and, and so as we begin to build towards this future, I just want to speak to a couple of different groups of us in the room. Firstly, you know, if you are new here and you would say, this has become my church family. This is where I belong, then I would love to invite you to take the next step and become a person or a household who partners with us uh, financially. The reality is there's no vineyard pot of money at the end of the rainbow. Everything that we do uh, happens because of the generous sacrificial giving of those that call this church their home. And so if you are new and, and maybe you just think, I'd love to make that next step, can I just encourage you to to really prayerfully consider that. And I'd I'd even challenge you and say, could you prayerfully consider that today? Um, And, um, you know, one of the best ways you can give is via your bank. I've got these wonderful... Forms here. Um, I would love to put one in your hands today. If you know your bank teams, you can fill them in today as well. Um, But we'd love to invite you to partner with us uh, financially. The second group of people I'd love to speak to is those of you who've been around for a while and you've never taken that step uh, to become a financial partner with us. And so, again, I just would love to encourage you to consider giving uh, in this next season? Could this be the moment where you take that next step? And then finally, the third group of us in the room would be those who have continued to give uh, sacrificially and faithfully over this season. I just wanna say a big thank you. Uh, all that you have given, all your generosity has really helped us achieve so much in these last couple of years in, in times of uncertainty. You know, we, we really pride the fact that we didn't have to make any of our staff furloughed um, and that we did manage to repurpose people, give people new jobs and stuff like that. We just felt like, actually, we would be taking advantage of a system if we furlough people. And actually, your generosity has enabled us uh, to, to do that. And, um, and so if you are someone who's faithfully given, uh, maybe this is just a reflection moment. Maybe in this last year, um, what you receive has increased. And so this is a moment just to reconsider what you give and how you give. Or, or maybe equally, it's decreased, and it's like, this is a time to review, and, and maybe I need to, to lessen. I know that sounds counterintuitive, but it's important, isn't it? <laughs> um, that maybe I need to lessen what I give as, as well. So awkward money talk over, okay? <laughs> Just thought I'd anchor that in. Um, but the last and final thing that you can do is this. Uh, live with a sense of expectancy. Live with a sense of expectancy. You know, after 40 years in the wilderness, the Israelites are finally ready to be led by Joshua across the Jordan into the promised land. Verse 9 says, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged, for the Lord God will be with you wherever you go. You know, whatever fear we carry right now, however unsure we might feel about what the future holds, the, the truth is the events, you know, even with the events of this last week, you know, it's kind of brought a fresh reality, hasn't it, to our lives that actually this, this is a scary season that we're in. These are challenging times ahead. But actually, in the midst of all of that, it's also a moment where, as you know, as the psalmist says in Psalm 121, we need to lift our eyes up. We need to lift our eyes up to the mountain where our help comes from, the maker and creator of all things. We need to lift our eyes up and have a fresh perspective of expectancy that God is actually with us wherever we go, that he is at work. And and the truth is he cares way more about you and he cares way more about the church and the well-being of this church family than any of us do. And, And the reality is he's the real leader of this community isn't he? He's the pastor, he's the shepherd of the flock, and he's the one who has a good future for every one of us, however afraid we might feel right now. You know, the last two years have been a significant in-between time for all of us, and in many ways that has been enforced upon us, hasn't it? And as we leave what was behind and as we step towards what is ahead let's not live in fear let's not be afraid let's cross the Jordan let's cross the other side and experience all that have, God has for us in this next season in this next chapter as the story unfolds can we do that why don't we stand